Hey, welcome to the uh, Best Of for Monday. A really great show for you today. I think you'll really uh, enjoy it. A lot to say about the another attempt at gun grabs uh, from the, uh, the Biden administration. Also, what is happening on our campuses, what's happening in protests all around the world. Uh, the anti-Semitism is off the charts. Why your Second Amendment is really, really important at this time. And my message directly to the officials of the state of Israel. All of that and more coming up on today's podcast. First, I know what it feels like when you try to explain what it's like to live with pain to somebody who doesn't live with pain. Their eyes kind of glaze over and they're like, get over it. What are you talking about? I got pain too. Once you've lived it, I can tell you the only thing that completely changed things for me was relief factor. And even that I didn't want to try. My wife made me. And thank God for that. But I didn't think it would work for me. It's a supplement that helps ease all of the aches and pains in your body. And I don't I don't know why it works for me, but it does. And if you feel like you've tried everything, maybe it's time to give Relief Factor a try. Get your life back. The three-week quick start 1995 trial pack, not a drug, but developed by doctors. And hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and 70% of them go on to order more. It's relieffactor.com. Relieffactor.com. Call 1-800, the number 4, Relief. Relief Factor. Feel the difference. Wow, Stu, how are you? Pretty well, Glenn. Wonderful, wonderful times we're in, and I'm glad to spend them with you. Wow, thank you. That's really my. If that it is my end desire. of days. It's not really the one I was thinking that maybe you know who I want by my side. Yeah, Stu. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. So let me just show you some things that happened over the weekend. Uh, you'll roll the the drone shot here over uh, London. There was a massive, massive pro-Palestinian London uh, rally in London, uh, and it was, um, I mean, London's lost. London's lost. I was just there, uh, and uh, there were parts of London you just didn't go to. It's no-go zones. It's like Paris. Just no-go zones. Look at how many supporters of the Palestinians there are. You cannot have a nation that is divided between life and death. Can't. And I'm sorry, but if you're choosing Hamas, you are choosing death. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. It is so very, even, I don't know if you heard this, Hillary Clinton came out and said, anybody who's asking for a ceasefire for Hamas doesn't understand Hamas. I mean, Hillary Clinton came out and said that. And it's right. Meanwhile, here in America, here's a uh, UMass teacher that will not condemn Hamas. Listen. As I, as I tried to explain. There's no explaining. Will you condemn terrorism? But, You're a professor here and you won't do it. Okay, but I'm not Do you think not. the Hamas attack was terrorism to begin with? What's that? Do you think the Hamas attack was terrorism to begin with? <laughs> I mean, 
like I think that there's how do you like, how do you define look, as something that's in the, is that in the a freedom something that's in the Jewish Voice for Peace statement about this that like has really resonated with me is that reality all begins on when you start the clock, right? And so if you start the clock on Saturday, reality is going to look one way. If you start the clock, you know, in like the weeks prior, it's going to sound different. You're trying to justify terror. No, if you start the clock, you know, in 1948, it looks a different way. You're a professor. Will you condemn terror? I'm not. This is this conversation is it's not. It's a yes actually, or no question. It's not a yes or no question. This is. You think terrorism justified if it's against Jews? Is that what you're saying? So, uh, so that's putting words in my mouth, as you know. I'm asking you to say yes or no, and you can't do it. Because you're a professor. You're smart enough to know. Okay, stop. This is amazing. This is amazing. It doesn't matter where you start the clock. Somebody that walks into an innocent family's house and guns them down, rapes the children, kidnaps people. I don't care when you start the clock. That's terrorism. Period. That's all it is. It's mass murder. It's psych behavior it is the embracing of death and everything that is evil just like you can start the clock on uh, on uh, you know september 10th 2001 you can start the clock on september 11th 1972 and it's still mass murder still mass murder we have to be very clear, and these people who have been playing the word games with us are very dangerous at this point. Your soul, truly, your soul is in jeopardy now on this very issue. You can want peace. You can uh, worry about the Palestinians. I prayed last night. My family got down. And we prayed last night for the Palestinian people. I don't want any of them hurt. But I do want the psychopaths that just revel in blood to be dead. I do. So now you have this huge rally in London. Let me show you what happened in German in Germany. Here cut eight German protesters chanting in Hamburg. Look at this. Allah Akbar. How do you think this is going to end? This is what happens when you just let anyone in that doesn't share your culture. How do you think that's going to end? In the most disturbing, I've got a few cuts of this. This is the most disturbing. Cut five. This is from Russia. A Muslim mob goes into the airport in Russia seeking to hunt down passengers from Tel Aviv. They storm the airport. They're looking for any Jews. Here is, look at this, here is uh, cut six, the Russian mob surrounding and questioning a suspected Jew. I'm Uzbekistan. I'm a Uzbek. Hey, make sure no one walks past us. Are you trying to mess with us? Calm down. I've got his passport. So this guy is... This guy is surrounded by, what would you say, 50 people still? Yeah. 
surrounded on all sides. They've taken his passport. They've taken his phone. Get his phone. Get his phone. And they're accusing him of being a Jew. I don't know. I don't know, gang. How far are we from World War II? Final one. Here's the Russian mob firing warning shots at the police, not the other way around. That's the mob shooting at police. Trying to get them to abandon their post at the gate to the airport. This is Russia. Now, what do you think has empowered this? This is empowered because Vladimir Putin met with the leaders of Hamas. I think it was Friday. Hamas released the Russian kidnapped uh, individuals. So they're back at home in Mother Russia. Do you think that maybe Russia is on the wrong side? Do you think you're far from another program in Russia? This is why Israel exists, and it must. Meanwhile... Kamala Harris was on 60 Minutes. And here's her message to Iran. What's the message to Iran? Don't. As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word. Pretty straightforward. I bet that chills him to the bone. So where do we go from here? Really, it's really, it's simple. It is really, really simple. For those of us who haven't closed their hearts to the Palestinians or to the Israelis, we haven't closed our hearts because we're angry at everything that is going on. Look at, look at what, how you're being pushed. How is it in 2009 I was warning about anti-Semitism, that we would see, this is a quote, we would see the hatreds of old rise again. Remember how they used to make fun of me always having Nazi symbols and things on my chalkboard? Maybe now they're beginning to understand why. I wasn't comparing people to Nazis. I was saying at the time, this kind of philosophy comes from Marxism. It comes from collectivism. It comes from do the duty of the society. In societies that are collective like this, mobs are allowed to form like this because it's what's good for the majority. And sometimes the majority goes insane That's why we are a nation of the individual, not the majority, not mob rule. But look at how the mobs have gathered around the left. 
It's all mob behavior. And like I just said, what do you think that that happened? Well, how did that happen in Russia where they'll just throw you off a roof or just shoot you someplace and nobody's going to ask any questions? How do you think you're going to get away with that? With all the airport security and your face on it. You were fine. The state's not going to do anything about it. Because the state most likely agrees with you. The state can use you as a useful idiot. What has our government done? Every time there's a mob on the street, what happens? They dismiss it. There's no police. There's no FBI informants among the. Have you ever heard of an FBI? Well, we had several FBI informants on the street. I haven't heard that ever. The only time I hear that is when things look a little suspicious for January 6th. If that was a legitimate mob, they all deserve to go to jail. Those who were doing uh, you know, damage to the building and breaking the law, hurting policemen, which didn't happen. We now know. Thank you, Blaze. So, what are we creating here? I contend we're creating the same exact scenario. Let me give you something that maybe, maybe we should pay attention to. I don't know. Illegal border crossers have just surpassed 10 million people since Biden took office. That's our guess. We don't know. 10 million people now have been reported to illegally entering the United States since January 2021. This is the largest number in American history. 10 million people. So you know, that is 3 million more than New York City. 10 million, you're starting to enter Los Angeles territory. You're in one of the top 10 cities in America, top five cities for sure in America. And we don't have any idea who they are. Well, we kind of do. We kind of do. Remember, they're all good, hardworking families. Hmm. According to a, uh, to a source inside the Border Patrol, the influx of special interest migrants. I'll give you the definition of that here in a second. Uh, continues, in fact, 100 Syrian and 50 Iranian nationals have been apprehended by the Border Patrol since the beginning of this month. 150 Syrian and Iranian nationals have been ap apprehended, have been caught on our border in the last, what is it, the 29th? The last 29 days. Now, how many have crossed? Oh, by the way, these are not families. These are individuals coming in by themselves. The Biden administration would say, well, this is because, you know, there's there's war in that area. Then why aren't you coming with your family? Why are you coming just by yourself? All of you. All of you. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program.
I have been thinking um, over the last few days of what is happening in our world. And when I saw the videos coming out of Russia at the over the weekend that were so reminiscent of the 1930s, I couldn't take it. These are Palestinian supporters. It's a gigantic mob. They rush the airport. They go into the airport and they're searching for Jews that have come off a plane from Tel Aviv. Think of that. The millions that were on the streets all over the world shouting death to the Jew. I'm not sure why I was born. I don't know if anybody can answer that for sure. But you'll have inklings from time to time, maybe. And I, I, fully, <laughs> I fully expect to get up and I'm talking to the Lord and I'm like, okay, all right. Did all these things, thought I was, you know, right, right. And he's like, no. No, I, I mean, really, you were supposed to be nice to that girl in the third grade. You know, she was having bad time. She was supposed to go, but you didn't do that. And you're like, oh, crap, that was it. I missed it in the third grade. I could have chilled the rest of my life. I don't know why I was born. But there is something about the state of Israel that connects deeply to me. And standing up this time, as opposed to every other time there has been a program or a holocaust, 19 holocausts, all of the programs where they would come in and just clean a town out of all the Jews, to have the privilege to stand with the Jew is a tremendous honor spiritually. So I want to read a letter that I wrote that I am sending to the state of Israel. To Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the honorable officials at the state of Israel. I write this to you in a time of profound significance. A moment where history echoes its most harrowing and yet most resilient notes. The present day world has eerily come to resemble the troubling shadows of the 1930s and 40s, where our Jewish brothers and sisters once again bore the weight of unprecedented persecution. The drums of war beat again, and the haunting chants of prejudice against the Jewish people have once more risen from hushed murmurs to overt threats. In this moment, I have chosen to ask you for citizenship in the state of Israel. I have nothing to offer but my voice of support. And some might say that my support might be more valuable as an independent voice. Perhaps they're correct. But my request for citizenship is not about words. It is about deeds. It is an irreversible step toward the darkness of the day in defense. 
Too many humans, no matter what their faith, have run the other direction, hidden or just turned away from the monsters in the dark that have come for their neighbors and fellow brothers and sisters. I wish to do the opposite. I once said in a speech there in Israel from the steps of the Temple Mount, if they must come for the Jew, then I must raise my hand and say, then come for me too, for today I am a Jew. Those were merely words. I wish to turn my words into action. Why, one might wonder, would I want to embrace a heritage and identity that is so ruthlessly hunted down again and again? Yet it is precisely during such moments that we must choose to stand. As Casper Ten Boom, Corey Ten Boom's Dutch Christian father, in a defining act of solidarity, became one of the first to request a yellow star from the Germans, we are reminded that the act of standing with the persecuted is an affirmation of life and a rejection of darkness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once stated, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. His words resonate deeply with me. In a world that may choose indifference, I choose to stand with the Jews, our brethren who have faced solitude repeatedly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I believe, thought he failed in his attempt to waken the German church, but it is because the hearts of his countrymen had already grown cold to the teachings of truth and scripture. American hearts still remain open. The message and the plight of our brothers and sisters can still be heard and seen today, but I fear the hour grows late. The American founders believed ardently in the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is the essence of our very existence in America to stand for these rights, not just for ourselves, but for every human. I am reminded of the biblical exhortation, do not stand idly by while your neighbor's blood is shed, Leviticus 19.16. This sacred text compels us to act, to defend, and to support life. I anticipate no privileges or exemption from the state of Israel. I instead yearn to align myself with those willing to rise, to fight, and sacrifice for the fundamental right to live. Is this not what both Israel and America embody? The sacred promise of life? The freedom to voice our beliefs? The right to defend our homes and families? I wish to be counted among you. In closing, my desire for dual citizenship does not stem from any expectation of gain, but from a deep-rooted belief in standing with what is right and true. Ten years ago, I took my children to Israel for the first time, but we first visited Auschwitz in Poland. I told them, you cannot understand Israel without the Bible or Auschwitz, nor would you be able to choose to stand if you hadn't already made the choice long before the trouble would start. 
At the time, my family and I met with one of the righteous among the nations. After she told us her heroic story of her and her family saving more than a hundred Jews, just as a 16-year-old girl, I asked her how I could water the tree of righteousness for future generations. She looked at me puzzled and told me that you didn't need to water the tree. It was in all of us, and it didn't take courage. The rest of the world would go insane and fall over the cliff. But all that was required was to remember what is right and what is true. Quote, remember what you were taught and refuse to move. In the end, this is no way a renunciation of my American citizenship, which I hold valuable and dear. It is instead a renewal of my first citizenship in the kingdom of God, as this fight is coming to all of us. May Israel remain an eternal flame of hope, a beacon of resilience, and a testament to the enduring human spirit. In deepest respect and solidarity, Glenn Beck. I don't expect to receive citizenship. I have wanted citizenship for some reason. Even Benjamin Netanyahu said to me at one point, why would you want to do that? And I said, because I, in the end, I want to be with people who are awake. But that's not right. I have no desire to go over and fight, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't want my country to fight Israel's fight, but to allow them to fight for their own life. Help them if we can. Stand with them. Recognize a Jew's right to live. If my country decided to side with Hamas, then that is for me to support that would be a violation of my first citizenship, not in this case, the third. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Dateline, Washington. The Commerce Department is halting exports of most U.S.-made firearms for 90 days and reviewing its support of the country's biggest gun trade show in, uh, to ensure such backing does not undermine U.S. policy interests. Steps that could slow two decades of growth of gun sales abroad. We go to Stu, Steve Breguier, our analyst on guns and regional gun expert, to tell us what he thinks the government is actually doing here. Well, Glenn, guns are evil and they should be banned. And they not only should be off the streets of America, but be off the streets of the entire world. These sales, of course, also help gun companies and improve their businesses. And since we want them all to go away and the Second Amendment to be destroyed completely, we do not support these exports. (laughs) Today on The Daily, the government banning gun sales. It could only harm the gun companies. Today, we talk to gun enthusiast, Steve Breguier. 
about oh. what the lack of guns means in his life. Do you, do you ask a question or do I just start talking? I don't, I don't know how this works. You, no, you just start talking. But you didn't ask a question. I... But you, I just said you're gun nut. Go, oh, uh, guns help protect people from you know, lawless mobs that, you know, the left so continues to you're, empower. You're insinuating that black people on the street or brown people are lawless mobs? I said nothing about anyone's skin color. What, why are you? We're the New York Times. I think we understand what you're saying, gun nut. Racist. And that's all the time we Wait, have. I didn't even get a chance. <laughs> I mean, this is so unbelievable. They they are not tracking. Here's why they say they're doing this. They say they're doing this because they want to make sure that the guns that are being sold by manufacturers to gun stores all around the world, that those guns don't fall into the wrong hands. But we're sending billions of dollars worth of ammunition and guns to Ukraine yeah. without anyone tracking any of it. Notably, the exports uh, ban, export ban does not apply to Ukraine. You can apparently send as many guns as you want there. Well, they're the government. Mm -hmm. The government can send it. Mm -hmm. the, just gun manufacturers can't well, send not it. Government doesn't build the guns. They're sending guns from gun yeah, manufacturers. They buy them. They buy yes, them. <laughs> it's just amazing that the weird... It doesn't make any sense, right? It used to make sense, like the old days, right, where um, generally conservatives were more in favor of a strong pos you know, position around the globe when it comes mm -hmm. to uh, maybe a hawkish stance mm -hmm. on that. And that applies with a... It, you know, it kind of works well with mm -hmm. the position at home that you should also be able to defend yourself. Like you kind of, you kind of see that. Now the left has just decided that they're the pro-war people, but they don't want us to be able to protect ourselves against lawless mobs that you know go through city after city after city that they encourage that they encourage and solicit donations for. I just doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't seem to work together all that well. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This weekend, we saw more shootings here in the country. Last week, we saw, you know, a mass shooting. And we find out now that that mass shooting up in Maine, there was Plenty of red flags oh, that went up. Plenty. Couldn't have been more red flags. I mean, the guy no. was literally telling people he wanted to shoot up a military base. Correct. And telling authorities mm -hmm. that he was going to do that. So immediately, of course, the regular arguments in the media and the left. Do I need to say that? Media and the left. Yeah, it seems repetitive. Yeah. Also, immediately, the usual counter arguments were made by the Second Amendment advocates. It's a shooter, not the gun. The man was unstable, shouldn't have had a gun. You know, regulations wouldn't have shot, you know, wouldn't have stopped him. Bad guys don't observe the regulations. These shootings are stopped by good guys. All of that stuff is true. But none of that is the thing that we should focus on right now. 
whether rather we should realize that we are living in a very special and unique time where all of the original reasons for the Second Amendment are as urgently relevant as they have ever been. We should probably understand those reasons. The Second Amendment is not about sportsmen. Otherwise, they might have put bowling in the Constitution. You know, the Third Amendment. Hey, can't touch bowling either. It was not put there for sports reasons. It exists. The most fundamental right under natural law. Natural law means it happens in nature. You walk into a, a cave with a bear in it, and you're just like, I want a pet little kitty. Uh, mommy will kill you because it's a natural instinct and natural right. You come into my home and try to do anything with me or my children, I can kill you if I feel we're in danger. The right to self-defense. That would come under the inalienable right to life, by the way. So this was written by people who had just defeated the former king. This also means self-defense against an out-of-control government. In an age of weaponized government agencies, this is hardly a false concern. Tellingly, the argument against this usually is efficacy. Oh, you're going to need an F-15, not an AR-15. Oh, I hate that. So I don't know. The Taliban did pretty well. Hmm. Pretty well. The history of asymmetric warfare from the Revolutionary War onwards would beg to differ, as would gun confiscation being one of the first acts of every tyrant in history. But more importantly, the Second Amendment also means... Simply self-defense against people with evil intent. That's, that's where we should really focus. The left essentially argues that that kind of self-defense is irrelevant today. That's why we have police forces. Really? The ones that you have gutted? The ones that you said were irrelevant and racist and horrible? The ones we can't get to respond to any problems because there's not a lot, enough of them left? Quite aside from truly frightening crime statistics, self-defense has never been more rev- relevant than it is today. And I think the, you know, Hamas pogrom kind of makes that case. Here's a country that does not lack experience with terrorism and war. Tiny, tiny little Israel. Help should arrive fast. But there was shock and surprise on September 11, uh, or October 7th. The lesson of how much time an organized response took should resound loudly, not only in Israel, but all around the world, including America. Hours passed before help came to many places under attack. Hours. We've just let 10 million people into our country that we don't know who they are. We saw what 28 individuals could do on September 11th. Are you telling me you're comfortable that there aren't enough people to cause real problems in our country in multiple places? 
It was emergency alert squads. It was civilian gun owners, single cops, soldiers who ran toward the sound of gunfire, undermanned and outgunned. What would the result have been if the population of Israel had been completely disarmed and helpless, fully dependent on their security forces? How many would be dead? Far more than are. This lesson has not been missed in Israel, which is actually very restrictive uh, on firearm regulations. Not everybody can have a gun. Those who can usually granted one handgun and 50 bullets, no more. All fully registered and permitted. I think Israel should adopt a full Second Amendment right. Now the rules are being relaxed. Gun owners are asked to carry. The alert squads in rural areas are being supported like never before. Squads are made up of former combat soldiers and are kept armed and trained to defend against terrorist incursions. During the Hamas program, they made a huge difference. They couldn't stop at all. They took heavy losses. But where they were kept... In a good state of readiness, casualties were considerably lower, higher where not. They blunted the assault. Americans had institutions like this when we first started. It was the Minutemen. Men armed and trained, held ready to defend their community at a minute's notice. We know of their role in the early stages of the War of Independence, but there were similar local groups meant to defend against whatever the danger might have been at the time. Indian, for that matter, French, British, Spanish incursions. We live in a time now where Jews have to cower inside their homes or get locked in libraries for fear of the mob in our own country. We live in a time when hundreds of thousands of people feel free to openly shout their support for evil and genocide and their hatred for the culture that welcomed them into their midst. A time when open borders have meant 10 million people and thousands on the terror list that are present right now in our cities making sleeper cells a virtual certainty. And that's without mentioning the cartels and the gangs and the old-fashioned rogue state actors. Do we really think that things can't happen in rural America with its vast open spaces? How long for real help to arrive then, or in a major city, or a university campus? We can't all turn into Navy SEALs, but most of us can help. And none of us should be helpless. This is not an emotional knee-jerk rah-rah. This is a lesson that reason and morality dictate we must learn from these events. I carry a gun. I train with it. Not because it's fun, but it is. But I'm also all too aware that my life and the life of my family one, may, one day, one night, may depend on my ability to use that gun. I... Sincerely pray I never have to use that ability. But I also pray that I always have the ability to use my gun. Never again doesn't mean depending on someone else to prevent the next massacre. Never again means you 
and your ability to descend, defend and stand for those you love. I don't know what the Biden administration is doing this time. But their every step has been to erode your rights one way or another.